and welcome to As It Comes, life from a musician's point of view. I'm Davina, I'm a freelance cellist based in London, and for a lot of people I know here in the UK, it's back to in-person music lessons at school. Yay! I don't have to spend a lot of time speaking about the frustrations of teaching performance online, because over the past year, I've dwelled on the situation a lot. But I want to express how much of a relief it is to teach a student in person. That which can be fixed in a few minutes in person often takes four times longer online. I can see my student's foot placement for the first time in months. If a student has done something wrong, I can interject and correct it straight away, rather than wait over a laggy internet connection. And crucially, I can play with my students. We all know that even if you have the swiftest internet connection in the world with minimal latency, it's still enough to prevent you from even trying to play with your students online. There's so much you can do to support and help your student if you're playing along with them, playing a duet accompaniment part with them, even playing their scales in canon with them. There's a lot they can pick up on. An old colleague of mine called this scaffolding which is a nice image, you're literally supporting the student as they play and, in turn, making music with them. But the last year has taught us to embrace technology within our teaching and certainly, going ahead, I'll continue to integrate more tech into my lessons. Personally, I was pretty old school before. Now, I can send backing tracks, tutorial videos and PDF materials to students, where previously I would make endless photocopies of documents which inevitably ended up crumpled in many a blazer pocket. Huge waste of paper as well. And a lot of the students have embraced the tech, becoming more proactive to watch a tutorial video or seek out the music they need themselves. Last week, this all came together in a positive culmination while I was teaching a beginner student in person who's largely had only online lessons. We played a simple duet together and afterwards she said, Oh, this, that was really nice. Can we record that? So we did. And I uploaded it onto Microsoft Teams so that she could show her family when she got home. I don't think that would have occurred to either of us to do that just over a year ago. That made me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Moving onwards with the pod, my guest this episode is the pianist Anna Sibulova. We had a lovely chat a few weeks ago where Anna shared with me her approach to performing in competitions. They're a lot of work and very stressful. But Anna's got some fantastic tips based on her experience of preparing for competitions. And this can be applied to other situations as well, like auditions or concerts. Anna was the winner of the 2015 Leeds International Piano Competition, where she played Brahms's Piano Concerto No. 2, a piece very close to her heart, which she was lucky enough to record shortly before the pandemic kicked off last year. Here's my chat with Anna. Anna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today all the way in Russia. So as someone who is used to performing all around the globe as a soloist and a recording artist, how does it feel to be in one place now? What have you been doing to fill your days during the pandemic? So thank you for inviting me. Uh, for me, it's a great pleasure to share my experience with you. Yes, I miss traveling very much and... Um, I travel by my music, 
with my soul, when I practice, when I play uh, music of composers of different countries and uh, different centuries <laughs> as well. So um, this is my traveling at the moment. Actually, it's been like that all the time before, but with, with yeah, you know, physically uh, we could travel and it was uh, amazing and I hope it will come again one day <laughs> yeah yeah fingers crossed where were you supposed to be at this time of year did you have any anything booked for this time yes uh, I had a lot of concerts uh, planned for this for this time and we could postpone some of them uh, that what is really good and I hope it will take place. Uh, of course some of them were lost uh, but I hope we will find uh, the possibility to, to get in touch with um, music societies uh, again and uh, yeah because for them it's a, also a difficult time to maintain to stay alive uh, during this crazy period and you know because you don't have these concerts at the moment what are you doing during these long days of not performing yes well everything what happened uh, for the last time was really important for me and uh, in uh, 219 I became a mother oh congratulations <laughs> thank you yes and actually we started postponing my concerts uh, from that time when I was pregnant to the time after the birth and uh, that was not easy it was difficult really to combine these parts of my life such important parts I didn't sleep uh, at night. I still don't sleep, actually. <laughs> but, you know, a baby. It's a different life immediately. And, um, yeah, I worked really hard to to have all my concerts after the, the birth. But then suddenly that pandemic came. That was a total shock for me. But I stayed at home. I looked at my piano, I looked at my baby, I looked at my family. I understood and maybe uh, I accepted that reality and was grateful that I have this moment um, in my life to stay closer to, to my baby. She She's needed mum, of course. I suppose you must feel really grateful to have this time to spend with your baby because yes. imagine what it would have been like before yeah. the pandemic or in normal times and you would have been running around the place. Yes. Because I know a lot of people have have struggled with that, um, yeah. you know, maintaining their career and then there's that push and pull between parenthood and performing and then guilt can sometimes kick in. So in a way, it's sort of a silver lining, I imagine. Yes, yes. Uh, of course, I, I cannot imagine now how what I would do if there would not be a pandemic in the world probably I would take her everywhere with me maybe I uh, it would be also exhausting uh, and uh, I cannot imagine but I love my life you know and uh, all this experience it's 
uh, absolutely priceless anyway. I'm, I'm grateful for, for everything. So it, now it, it sounds um, differently, right? <laughs> it sounds differently like before. You have everything you need right now. Yeah, you know, I think that's that was the initial shock for everyone, for all performers, when all the engagements got cancelled. Yes. But yeah. being able to take a step back sometimes and look, oh, I have my health, I have my friends, I have my family. Yes. And if you have those, then you're, you're doing okay, I think. Yes. So it, and we, we start to be more attentive to the very important things to to your soul to your mood to your health as you said this moment is for the for the whole planet just maybe we need to think more about ourselves and yeah just to stop for some time and think deeply (laughs) yeah you know what i don't know what it's going to be like if we ever do go back to normal because i feel like my capacity for work has gone down mm-hmm. so if we ever go back to that constant motion of you know performances all the time it's going to take a bit of getting used to i think it's the rhythm rhythm of the life is now different right yeah completely mm-hmm. so i wanted to ask you about your musical journey because mm-hmm. i did a little bit of reading about you and uh, read that you're from a very small town of yes. only 500 inhabitants yeah so tell me what was it like um growing up in, in a small town learning the piano and then uh how did you go from there to you know, one of the most notable achievements in your life is winning the Leeds International Piano Competition in yeah. 2015. So yeah. tell me about that journey in between. Oh, when I look back, uh, it seems to me, to me totally magical. <laughs> um, yes, my mother was a musician. She gave me the first lessons. Uh, first of all, she played uh, quite a lot at home and she noticed that I react to music in a very good way. I dance, I sing, I want to play. So she uh, she saw that it is quite natural for me and um, I like listening to music and in my age. So I started when I was six years old. I loved the process and I loved to go to perform on the stage. Uh, all these beautiful dresses, the stage, the light and um, audience and all pieces what I played. I was really in, in, in it during this amazing process of performing. Of course, uh, we had a... Um, difficult period when I was lazy and I wanted to go out to play uh, with my friends outside and my mom was quite uh, uh, strict uh, just to put me in front of the piano to play some exercises and (laughs) all this but it was not for long maybe half half a year or so when I was seven my father he is a an astrophysicist, a radio physicist in our small place in the south of Russia, Caucasus. Uh, we have the biggest radio telescope in the world. Wow. The diameter of this telescope is 600 meters. 
So my father gave me inspiration. We talk a lot about the universe, about the planet, about stars, and I found that music is actually unites all these unites our life our soul with the space somehow i i found that space that i can be there and uh, sometimes i wanted to be an astronaut <laughs> to <laughs> to go uh, yeah, to go yeah. to the space and to look at our beautiful universe i love that i think because i think there is a quote and i can't remember it exactly but they say that music is a way to decorate time yeah. And yeah, that kind of ties in with what you were talking about, how it all unites everything. Yes, yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, this magical world appeared in front of me uh, Yeah, when I was playing and I really decided to keep going on this way. When I was 10 years old, we went to the national competition. We met a very good teacher in a different city it's a different um, re region of russia she liked me as well and um, offered to continue studying with her but as i was so just 10 years old and we couldn't travel it's um, about 700 kilometers from our place so no possibility to go yeah there <laughs> like uh, twice a week or so and uh, my parents made a really brave decision and my teacher also uh, she offered me to stay with her at her house at her place wow. and i stayed with her for oh three years it was one big lesson for me <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah a lesson in life you know uh, yes, a living piano absolutely teacher. yes and uh, so she started not only teach me how to play but how to Believe, so educated me actually yeah. educated me it was tough it was very difficult i missed my home i missed my mom i missed my dad and uh, wanted sometimes to go back but i understood that this is my beautiful sometimes hard way but it's mine and i love it and i want to keep going my mom once asked me like anna would you like to maybe to stop everything and go home i was 10 years old i said that no mommy it is too late to go home now so you'd set your mission very early on at 10 years old and and decided this is what i want to do i imagine yeah. your mum must have missed you so much how yes. how would you feel if your if your daughter now oh decided to to go off 700 yes. kilometers away oh you know uh, now uh when i see my daughter my view of the world has changed so much <laughs> of course uh, but what i'm grateful um that my mom she gave me that freedom so she understood that that time came already so so early probably but she she wasn't afraid so she somehow yeah. trusts me right trusted me seized the opportunity made yes. made it happen yes yes and uh, so she she saw that 
I understand potential. Yes, that so that I understand this part of of my life. So that um, it's not because I I was pushed or forced to do it. That was my choice, honestly. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. and then uh, after oh, these three years, I entered the Central Music School in Moscow. After Moscow Conservatory, my professor advised me to go to to Switzerland, to Basel. And I entered the Basel Music Academy. And uh, after one year of studying there, I decided to take part in in the Leeds competition. It's a long journey. And then, and as we know, I mean, no spoilers here, how how well it went for you at the Leeds competition. But competitions, they're really hard work, aren't they? Like, tell me, what was what was your preparation like building up to the competition? So I started taking part in competitions very early. My first teacher, she believed that we need to play as much as possible. I took part uh, in 20 or so competitions before, like for young, uh, young pianists, young musicians. And I had some experience, but uh, during the conservatory in Moscow, I took part in two really good and major competitions in Japan in Hamamatsu, which is really prestigious and very difficult. Actually, when I decided to go there, my professor said, Oh, Anna, come on. No chance, <laughs> she said. Oh, ouch. <laughs> yes, this was like some kind of a strict Russian tradition. Yeah, it affected on me like, no, no way. Come back after the first round, she said. But I got through the finals and uh, I came fourth. But that experience was very important. So I saw how big competitions for adult musicians uh, are organized. I found that I was very tired uh, by the end, not only physically. So I, I've lost like five kilos during their competition. Mentally, I was really, not not good to say I was empty, but almost. Yeah, like spent. Yes, yes, exactly. So four rounds and for the final performance, that was my last power. But Mm. when you play, I played Schumann concerto in, in, in Japan and Schumann wouldn't uh, be happy to know that I'm playing his concerto with the last power. That's stupid. I need to be fresh. I need to be inspired. I need to to share all that beauty with uh, people. But I had no power already for that. And I was really sorry about that. And I worked on my uh, vision very much and f- tried to f- find that right mood, uh, right behavior during the competitions, And I prepared mentally very hard. And then when I decided to go to Leeds, I was ready because I didn't want to compete. I didn't want to win. I just wanted to play. Yeah. And I was concentrated on my program, just the program. Uh, the first round, second, the third, and the final. And I had a dream to play the Brahms second concerto with an orchestra. From the first moment when I opened the score of this concerto. And then 
I saw that I can play actually this concerto in the lead com Leeds competition. So I decided, yes, I probably will go there. And if I get through the finals, so probably I would have this opportunity. I can say that this approach was correct. That was right. Because I wasn't tired by the finals. I, I was fresh. I was yeah. inspired. It, it was some kind of a musical journey and uh, I could share that joy of performance with people. Because I guess in a way then you, you're focusing more on making music and you're yes. enjoying the journey. Yeah. I think people fall into the danger sometimes of really being goal oriented and thinking yeah. I'm going to win that competition. Yes. But then they lose all the good stuff beforehand don't they it's a little yes. bit like um, I mean I think of any long-term process like whether it be learning an instrument or doing yoga or learning yes. how to run a marathon you have to you have to want to enjoy the process yes, don't you absolutely. because if you're just like gonna wake up one day and think I'm gonna run a marathon it's probably not gonna go very well <laughs> yes yes exactly exactly and uh, also this atmosphere of the competition it didn't get me because i i didn't care about that i remember uh, during the rounds we all lived together all mm. competitors and we had breakfast dinners uh, and uh, lunch together somebody already played somebody is going to play now in a few hours and people were really stressed but i i was playing computer games between I was living my normal life. I was walking around. It's a beautiful place, Devonshire Hall in Leeds, and it has beautiful park garden uh, just nearby. But it was a result of my big work before. And I didn't practice during the competition because, yes, uh, it's already late to practice on the competition. You just need to keep power. <laughs> yeah, I imagine that it, it gets to a point with big competitions like that, because you've done so much preparation beforehand, there comes a point where you can't do any more practice. You know, practicing your piece just before you go on stage for the next round is not going to do anything. It's probably just going to freak you out, right? Yes, yes. So yes. I, I really love hearing that, you know, you're just hanging out, playing computer games, enjoying the scenery. <laughs> obviously worked yeah. and actually actually yes my my colleagues so the other competitors they were Anna what are you doing what is it what what are you are you okay <laughs> I'm fine thanks <laughs> it means that you can really focus then on the task at hand when you're on stage yeah you know because you're ready you've built up that power and then yeah. It's just go time. One important moment was um, before the third round, we had a free day, just nothing. Uh, we just had a, a day for, I don't know what, for practicing, for whatever you want. And we could f choose the uh, host family to spend this day in, in the house with a piano. And I came to the house to, now they are my best friends, Claire and John Fraser. I came to the house, I opened the piano and I understood that I do not want to touch the keyboard. I just closed the, I closed the piano. I went to the garden. I took a cup of tea with milk 
and I spent that day a few a few hours, I think six six hours or so we, we had. And I, I played no one note during that day. And then I came to Devonshire Hall. I came back very fresh and um, happy. Other semi-finalists, they looked really tired. They were gray, you know. They were so, um, how to say, yeah, yeah, very tired in general. Probably exhausted. Exhausted. Yeah. And he looked at me, I was like with yeah. pink cheeks, very nice, like after some spa or so. And this and look at me, Anna, Anna, what 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 have you done? What what were you doing today? I said oh, <laughs> just about nothing. <laughs> so but for me it was a really the right decision. I took a break and then I, I had that power uh, till the end and this is what I really recommend to all young musicians who is going to apply for big competitions. Just save your power because uh, save your energy. It's very easy to lose mm. the energy. It's even um, you can lose energy when you are talking to people. Some, if you feel that like it's difficult for you to talk, just, I don't know, eat, drink, go, or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, drink some water, just yeah. chill out. No, I think yeah. that's very, very wise words there, you know, save your power because, yeah, people drive themselves so hard and we yes. can be our own worst critics and oh, yeah. that can just drive us into the ground sometimes. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I think that's, um, yeah, really valuable to hear. So as you mentioned before, you reached the final and you got to play the Brahms Piano Concerto Number 2. Yeah. And I have to say... From a cellist's point of view, uh, and you probably know what I'm about to say, but I love the slow movement of that because you get that wonderful solo with <laughs> the cello. And actually, you've uh, recently recorded that concerto and you've got an album coming out later in the year and you recorded it shortly before the pandemic uh, kicked off. So tell me a little bit about why you decided to record this piece. Yes. So... This concerto is a very special piece for me. So it's this masterpiece of Brahms, uh, which I feel really close to. Um, I've also wrote um, my master degree in Moscow Conservatory about this concerto. It was a big research and I went really deep uh, in, in this concerto. And I'm so grateful for Brahms for doing all this, because all these ideas of our lives, of nature, uh, our universe, are in this concerto. Especially now, I understand how really amazing it all <laughs> uh, was. Since winning the leads uh, with the Brahms Concerto Number no. Two, I've played that a few times with orchestras. But you know, the reality was that usually we don't have enough time to rehearse. Usually it's just one rehearsal and then you go. No time to find really 
work attentively because there's so many things to understand, to talk, to find, to unite between people because orchestra in this concerto is more like a chamber orchestra. So everybody uh, should be very close to each other and driven by one idea. Usually before concerts you don't have time for that kind of beautiful work. And I, I thought it would be so wonderful to have this opportunity to make the performance of this Brahms to really like I wanted it to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to really get in depth and, and rehearse. I mean, I know what it's like on the other side, sitting in the orchestra yeah. and as a cellist and a lot of the time it's, okay, who's the soloist today? Oh, it's this person. And you see them for half of a three-hour call of rehearsal. They get maybe yeah. an hour, an hour and a half. Yes. And that's it. And then you don't see them again until the concert. Yes. And you, you finish the concert thinking, oh, I can't really remember how that went. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I imagine it must feel quite nice in the recording process yeah to sit down and really collaborate with these musicians yes yes because we we need this collaboration we need this kind of uh, serious approach because when i read about how brahms worked on this concerto how attentive he was and how important for him was how cello plays how violins play and all this very good ensemble work works together. The conductor Ruth Reinhardt, she was just amazing. We start playing, just two of us, before the first session and we immediately understood that we are on the same uh, mood and the same idea and we understood that we don't need to talk. We just played, we just shared our love to this music and it was so easy, so pleasant to find all this beauty in every note and uh, we shared ideas, we combined our interpretations and then we saw that the orchestra accepted that immediately as well and it was just mm. a happiness for three days in Berlin. Uh, we recorded this just before the pandemic uh, happened, yeah. Oh, you must feel so lucky that you got it done before yes. March 2020 because yes. that would be so hard now. And I think that's one thing that all musicians miss now is that feeling of making music in the same room as someone else without having to use words, but using your music as your language to communicate yeah. Yeah. with each other yes absolutely I think what I really like about that concerto is as you mentioned before it's a bit like chamber music but it's also like a huge symphonic work yes as well yes, yes as uh, well. it's it's almost like a symphony yes. with a piano yeah. <laughs> it makes sense to spend that time and to really get in depth yeah. with all the details because there is a lot of detail there yes yes so I uh, wanted to read all words which Brahms has put in this concerto, in the score. And uh, actually, I even saw the manuscript and even his um, notes made by pencil by Brahms. And it was amazing, oh, you know, uh, for me, so inspiring. And uh, there is something really special about this music. Now, when I see what this music is about, yes, 
when pandemic happened and you found yourself in front of your life, just you and your life and you and the world, you start seeing the really important things. Like you ask yourself, Anna, what is important? So, and this music yeah. helps really to ask this to ourselves. So, uh, it's really about a life. Yeah. yeah. You may or may not know I have a segment in my podcast called the Wild Card Question Round. Oh. And this is where you get the opportunity. <laughs> to choose what I ask you next uh -huh. based on three topics that I present you. Okay. So your choices are non-musical pursuits, travel, and alternate path. Yeah, maybe non-musical um, non pursuits. Okay, so the question is, what's something that you like to do away from the piano? And I know you mentioned a little bit about this before when we were talking about your preparation for the Leeds competition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what's something that you like to do when you're not practicing? Yeah. Uh, so as I am from that um, small place in Caucasus, it's in mountains. And I love uh, downhill ski. And I do it from my childhood. <gasps> yes. And I even uh, took part in... Uh, competitions for championships for uh, down, downhill skiing yeah. and I had a teacher wow. and we had a sport team and it's amazing I'm doing it uh, till now and I love doing it um, mountain ski it's amazing <laughs> yes wow you've done a lot of competitions in your life <laughs> yes right it's amazing <laughs> what is it you love about downhill skiing how would you explain why yeah. you like it so much so first of all, it's a view. You admire the spectacular view of mountains in, in front of you. It's so beautiful. It's beautiful in any weather. And it's very inspiring for me when I see these uh, trees and rocks and um, the sky and snow. Uh, amazing. It's just beautiful to see yeah. and also you feel that the speed and you feel your body, you need to be quite strong do for doing this. And uh, I really love it and I wait for my daughter to be a bit older. So probably next yeah. year uh, I will start teaching her <laughs> to ski. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's brilliant. Amazing. Yeah. It sort of ties in a bit with what you said earlier with your dad being an astrophysicist, you know. Yes. And, you know, enjoying all the things that make up this world, you know, in a really cosmic Yes, level. yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I also love swimming. We were in a sport team of swimming in Moscow Conservatory with my husband. It's great for musicians to swim. Yeah, I was going to say that. It's good for like all of your muscles, like yeah. getting an all-body workout, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. Of course, during the pandemic, you cannot go to the swimming pool. But now, for example, in Moscow, it's already opened. And uh, so sometimes I go, but of course, I would, I would be happy to, to go there more often, more regularly. 
but um, chance by chance. <laughs> I'm excited for your daughter. She's got some really exciting <laughs> non-musical pursuits coming up in her future, yeah. I think. Skiing, swimming. Yeah, but, but I mean, a sport in general, when it's beautiful and inspiring, it's good for your body, it's good for your health and, and soul as well. Anna, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today and telling me about your approaches to competitions and things that you like to do outside of music and piano and also talking about the Brahms Piano Concerto Number no. 2, which is just a fantastic piece if you've never heard it before. So where can listeners find out more about you and your work? I have an official page in Facebook. I'm working on my Instagram by myself what I'm really proud of because I'm a person who is very far from social media <laughs> but I'm working on myself trying to do some content <laughs> for this uh, it's not easy for me but I'm I'm trying yeah social media takes up a lot more time than people realize I think <laughs> yes yes absolutely for me before I remember every post on Facebook was a stress for me I remember like, oh my God, oh, just, I need to write something. Just Anna, just concentrate. You have to write something. And um, I remember that uh, kind of a new pressure on me after winning the Leeds, because I didn't expect that side of, you know, being a winner of the competition, of a big competition that I must do Facebook and Instagram. But yes, of course, this is a way of communication now with people and um, later I understood that it's not so scary I can I can do it Anna thank you very much for joining me today thank you Davina thank you it was such a pleasure to talk to you and share my my thoughts and thank you for everything That was the wonderful Anna Sivalova. As mentioned in the chat, the slow movement of Brahms's second piano concerto features a significant cello solo. <laughs> in fact, the piano doesn't enter the movement for a couple of minutes. I'm sure many of my cello peers will be familiar with preparing that solo for auditions, but outside of the orchestral excerpt context, it's a beautiful solo, providing a serene and calm mood for the beginning of the movement. In fact, Brahms reworked that melody in his song Immer leiser wird mein Schlummer, or My Slumber Grows Ever More Peaceful. If you're looking for something to listen to, give the piano concerto a go. After finishing it, Brahms wrote to Clara Schumann, saying, I've written a tiny little concerto with a tiny wisp of a scherzo which I think is a bit of a joke. This piece is massive, <laughs> weighing in at four movements instead of the usual three. If you like Brahms's symphonies, who doesn't, try this concerto. It's got everything. Anna's recording is out in May, so keep an eye out for that and check out the show notes for a single that's available from that recording. That's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Daniel Elms for my jingle. Huge thanks to Anna Sibelova for joining me for this episode, as well as Rebecca at Premier Classical for her assistance. And as always, thank you for listening. 
If you'd like to support the podcast, you can now donate and buy me a coffee on my coffee page. Link in the show notes. Get in touch at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com or on the website asitcomes.com where you'll also find all previous episodes and transcripts of the podcast. You can also get in touch with me via Instagram and Facebook, where I highly recommend you give me a follow and a like at As It Comes Pod. Remember to rate, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to those who've already done so. And thanks for continuing to spread the word. Chat to you soon and take good care. Bye. (laughs) 